welcome to the Human Being Human. This is the Human Being Human Podcast. 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 Welcome to the Human Being Human podcast. I'm your host and creator, Carrington Cooper. Thanks for joining me for the next installment of the podcast series. In this season, we're going to change pace and switch up formats, although my home state of Nebraska will remain the focal point. After taking a deep dive into the history of the Cornhusker state last season, We're now going to listen in on some conversations and discussions I've had with my fellow human beings and fellow Nebraskans. Thanks again for lending us your ears for this podcast series. It's always greatly appreciated. In this episode, I sat down with one of my good friends, Caleb Hastings. Caleb is a musician, guitarist, and fellow Ordite like myself, and was part of a generation of musicians that I grew up admiring. In today's episode, Caleb and I talked about growing up in small-town Nebraska, playing at the infamous Comstock Rock Windmill Festival, and recording and performing with his band, Cuddlebone. I hope listeners enjoy our conversation, because I know we had a great time recording it. Thanks again for listening to the Human Being Human podcast. Without further delay, my conversation with Caleb Hastings. intro here just so folks know who the heck you are. Caleb Hastings is a fellow Chanticleer from Ord, Nebraska, just like I am, and a fellow musician and a fellow all-around cool dude. And growing up, Caleb and his group of musician friends were kind of the generation of musicians four or five years older than me and my group of friends. And so we kind of grew up idolizing and and worshiping you guys, you know, right, get right into the coin nostalgia here. Now we're all kind of contemporary friends, kind of doing our thing as we get older. But back in the day, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, up until we were uh, going to high school together, you and your group of friends were what it was all about and really inspiring. And 
you're part of the reason that I really got into music back in the day. And so it's cool that we're all still still doing it. And that's part of what this podcast is, is keeping all those those vibes going. Super nice of you to say. I mean, <laughs> what, what instantly came to mind was that there was a generation before us that was similar to where we started playing because kids a little bit ahead of us. But it's funny that you said that because it's like, I mean, we were older, but I remember almost being like, and I think I speak for a couple other people in my cohort, we were like pissed off because every generation, the kids younger than you get better faster. And you're just like, wow, cool. Good thing I've wasted, especially as we get older and you see people who are like, there's some 16 year old who's completely revolutionized how their two hand tapping works or something. And you're like, cool, I quit. Time to go to accounting school. <laughs> Who would have been the generation above you guys? Uh, like when you were, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth graders. Who was that group that was your heroes you're looking up to? We were looking up to Dale Phillips and Jake Neiman and Bill Dodd and Brad McCartney. They had a band going that was that was awesome that we really liked a lot and ended up, I mean, we all ended up playing together once we got old enough that the, the age disparity wasn't too complicated, but a lot of the formative music kind of came trickle down uh, to me, at least from those guys. It must have been that group of guys then, because I have a memory. It's kind of a mushy memory, but uh, I have a memory of, of when they were performing at jazz band concert at the Ord Theater, where we had the jazz band concerts, and on the bill was them playing Stack Dead Actors by Foo Fighters. And I remember my mom warning my grandparents who were there that, get ready, there's going to be a rock group performing. And, you know, that, that kind of prickled my skin up and like, ooh, here we go. You know, grandparents are, are getting warned here. <laughs> there's going to be some, some awesome rock coming up. That's one of those memories that, you know, would have been Bill Dodd singing and just really cool. And I was like, yep, I'm going to be a rock star. This was, this was impressive. So I do have one of those kind of weird in the fog memories <laughs> from back in the day. And those dudes were pretty fearless. I remember stuff like that, but uh, Popcorn Festival is a thing, right? North Loop, maybe? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, North Loop Popcorn Days. So those same dudes, they played several songs there, but there was like that little outdoor stage. And it was dedicated to music right there, but it was like you're surrounded by people who were playing fair games and like, you know, eating funnel cake and stuff. And they did the Limp Biscuit version of Faith. It was like 4.30 in the afternoon and he just screamed his ass off. And I was like, man, I don't, I don't think I would have done that. That's a bold move, Bill. I have fond memories of playing uh, that very same stage at North Loop Popcorn Days. Me and my, my group of friends, Joel Bish and, and all those guys, we played like a 15-minute rendition of Voodoo Child, so instantly disqualified ourselves. It was like, it had to be three minutes and under, where it was like a battle of the band sort of thing, and we were like, we're not going to win anyways. Let's just play for as long as possible before they, they pretty much make us leave the stage. And everybody got a little turn at that North Loop rock and roll rebellion. That's so cool. What's one, kind of like you said, none of us were the first ones. <laughs> I'm sure there's yeah, there even was, definitely. I'm really bad at the the names, but there was a there was a generation above a couple about the same in, increment. It seemed like four or five years above that class of 2000 that 
were in a band and I'm sure still play around there. Or they did. At least I'm really bad at staying in touch. Anyways, there's some like old timer in North Loop who has seen some crazy years worth of lots of rock and roll at this family friendly popcorn festival, which is pretty cool. Very uniquely Nebraskan, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, you won't see that everywhere. All of these generations of musicians, it seems like, kind of stems from one individual, which would have been Jerry Neiman, our high school band teacher. Whether he was the original spark to all of it or just happened to uh, you know, be a conduit to all of these musicians that came and went, but he was kind of there the whole time, obviously, and inspired us to play, taught us to play, and we definitely owe a lot to, to Jerry, that's for sure. And when I lived out in Denver, I played with Mr. Neiman up in his Jerry Neiman Blues Band up in Pine, Colorado, up a little mountain town. So, yeah, so I had the opportunity to do uh, five or six gigs with, with him up there. So, so that was really neat. We got to, to make that connection. And he never stops being a teacher. It was a great learning experience. Did you ever at all play with, the, with Jerry and the Blues Band kind of arrangement, bar band sort of deal? Absolutely. For, I mean, it was probably four or five years. It was Jerry and Jake and Dale and myself. And we played a lot, by far the most, like the busiest I've ever been. Because he would do a couple of them a month and they'd be all over the place. We, we, uh, we definitely played a lot of different places in Nebraska. And it was a pretty standard, like four hours of covers and kinds of things. But it was, I had a lot of fun because it's, because it even started before I was of age to be in a bar. So I thought it was really, really cool, even though I got kicked out <laughs> right after the, the shows were over. But um, but yeah, we played together a long time. Had some really good Comstock shows too. Beer tents and one like Sunday afternoon on that main stage. There was like six people. Right? Everybody was super hungover. It was like the, not at all the high traffic time of the day, but it was so fun. I remember watching that. I would have I would have been there that year watching you guys on main stage. So yet another uh, cap in your guys' feather that made me go, yep, that. <laughs> these, these are my guys. We are excited, and I know Jerry probably had to lobby pretty hard for that spot, but it was, it was, it was cool. Like I said, it's like I knew the four or five people that were around, I think, and like <laughs> my uncle uh, was camping and decided to come over, so it didn't really matter. It was, I mean, it could have just been a, it was kind of a glorified practice, but we thought it was really, really awesome just just because of who else was going to be on the stage the rest of the day and all that stuff. Biggest PA definitely have been piped through, so. There's something special about playing live, especially as a drummer. I know for every instrument, but as a drummer, to hear those drums start kicking, it's a different instrument when, when drums are mic'd up live and you play differently and, and getting the chance to play through a big PA, like that's uh, kind of a bucket list thing. Like that's just uh, a cool thing that I don't know if my heart could take doing that every night because it's uh, it's a beast when you're when you're through those big PAs like that. Did you ever play at Comstock Rock with any other groups, or was it just Jerry? I think we did when it was Groundling, and those were daytime beer tents too. And I think that would have been me and Jake. Josh Hill was probably singing. I remember at least one of those shows, Riley O'Brien was playing bass. Yeah, there's a recording of it somewhere in some box stashed in somebody's basement. We did at least some original stuff there, and so that was that was cool. But again, it was like daytime beer tent. Um, so we either had the people who were still rocking from the night before or the early 
the birds, but everybody's good and thirsty. <laughs> yeah, my my band uh, Merle Buckley got to play out there kind of the last year that it was still, uh, it was kind of in its dying grasp at that point or its dying breath, Comstock Rock. So we kind of got to send it off in a blaze of glory and, and play the beer tents. And that was kind of the next year. I, it might have been literally the last year before it kind of has done this up and down restart sort of thing. And so good old Comstock Rock. It's peculiar. What a weird, what a like an unsuspecting place to have, the, you know, the tons of people that, that were out there. It's just what a weird, you'd never, it's, it's hard to remember that those kinds of things just happened. That like, oh yeah, that time that Jeff Leopard was in a valley a few miles outside of Comstock, Nebraska. That was my very first concert ever was Def Leopard first or second years that they had it and I would have been a seventh grader or one of one of those years I wasn't allowed to go the first year by myself but the second year my mom turned me loose because I didn't want to do anything other than go to the concert you know I didn't want to be partying in the campers or anything like that I wanted to see Def Leppard <laughs> you know pretty good uh, inaugural uh, concert I would say yeah super interesting drummer to see first too Oh, dude, I think I actually have your book around here somewhere. Ask my dad to borrow your book. I haven't read it yet, though. Nice. Yeah, that would have been, I, I talked to your parents uh, when I put that out, what, last October? And being being the nerd and brown noser I was, I, I mailed them a copy and basically asked, will you grade this for me? <laughs> and uh, they gave me a good a passing grade, so for whatever that's worth. Awesome. I'm looking forward to checking it out. I still I did that for every <laughs> every job application when I was in UNK and so I had them proofread plenty of stuff. So what's cool about your your group of friends, I don't know if it's a coincidence or not, but a lot of your group of friends that we knew growing up, they're all teachers. Caleb, your both your parents are teachers. Uh, Jake Neiman, his dad is our high school band teacher. Josh Hill, his dad was our elementary school teacher and so whatever that is that uh that teaching cultivation mindset. It allowed us to do what we wanted to do. You know, we, you know, bless our parents' hearts for letting us just make racket while they <laughs> had to grade papers and, and all that sort of stuff. I'd like to talk a little bit about your band, your project, Cuddlebone. You know, I've enjoyed listening to what you've put out since your very first release in May of 2008. So it's been, uh, you know, is that four, 14 years, uh, some, whatever that math is. So your music sensibilities are right up my alley as far as what I enjoy listening to and what kind of band I would love to be in. <laughs> and uh, like I said, I've just been following everything you've put out, even back in the uh, Groundling Shiznibble days, going way back, <laughs> way back in the day. And you just put out an album in August called Swell, if I have that right. You do, Really enjoyed that uh, a lot, as I've enjoyed everything else. And we got to see your band perform in July as well. So we got to see a lot of those songs live. Your music has been something that I've enjoyed for the entire time I've known known you and what you put out. So we're we're uh, if I could be a guitarist, I would want to be a guitarist like you. Oh man, that means so much, Carrington. That's awesome. Thank you. So with this album. This is the first album you've done where you have an actual drummer, if I'm correct. Uh, and not to give away the, the secret sauce uh, for your previous albums, but uh, I believe they are all, uh, you did 95% of most of everything, uh, including the drums, which is pretty darn impressive because they're not, 
they're digital drums, if I understand. It was just pressing buttons. Is that uh, is that correct? Yeah, just MIDI tracks and pro piano <laughs> uh, MIDI controller. So like, and then obviously edited and fixed them all up because I'm not not quite rhythmic enough to have pulled any of that off. I tried one even with the actually that very first one that when you're talking about uh, God 2008. Jeez, that has some tracks on that Doctor Rhythm where I was in there. Just it's, it hurts to listen to to now, but anyways, really cool that there's a real drummer now. It makes it goes a long, long way. You know, it's interesting because I can definitely tell the difference between a real drummer and and uh, a digital MIDI type stuff, but at the same time, it gave it an interesting, unique characteristic to it when it was not an actual drummer because it was it was you as well that if it would have been anybody else punching in those drums it might have been kind of weird sounding but uh you got your musicianship into those into those drums one way or another and it's almost apples and oranges because i love what clint uh, is doing on the new uh new album but there's just something that's almost quirky and interesting about uh the old digital stuff too that that i like and usually as a as a drummer the digital stuff is kind of the um drummers hate non-drummers <laughs> right they they are our enemy and so but hearing this it's been a it's always been a pleasure to listen to that i've i've enjoyed them i'd straddle it really because i have never really been good enough like i can get by at this if you know 14 years later i'm probably like intermediate still but before all of that there was always somebody in the band who knew more about just running signal around like i'm still way late to the party about the first time i tried to you know use a real mixer or you know use use plugins or this is you know here's a, here's a compression you know where you're turning a physical knob it was like way behind because everybody else that i always played with usually bought the gear that was the pa system or recording time or whatever but I just, I really liked it because I just got to play guitar and didn't have to mess with it. But, so I missed out on a lot of knowledge that I should have had. And then even in, even in the digital world, I, it's not my like natural state. I know that, the, you know, a lot of my friends are really good about checking message boards and like running their updates and making sure that they're, you know, they appear to be seamlessly they just have this streamlined rig and I have to sit there and scratch my head and be like, why, why is this happening? What possible reason is there? So anyways, <laughs> I, uh, I never got good at either. I never got particularly good at it either. And I have a degree in audio engineering. So <laughs> what's my excuse at this point? Another reason that I'm, I'm not as good behind a mixer just because between guns and concerts like i know i don't have the ears for it i really that's been the worst part about getting older it's like oh my gosh i definitely cannot hear as well as i would like to what's cool about what i'm doing with this podcast is it's great seeing all the different names intertwined with all the different circles of people that i i have on the program the gentleman that recorded your album also recorded joel bish's album who was on here last year i guess and then um, you got your album mastered by Doug Van Sloan out of uh, Omaha, Nebraska. And almost everybody I've had on the podcast who does an album gets their stuff mastered by, by Doug Van Sloan. He's kind of the, you know, 
this is kind of the unofficial Doug Van Sloan promotional podcast, uh, it seems like, because everybody I talk to who's done music uh, goes to that dude. And so, and there's a reason for that. And your album sounds great. Well, and we'll go back to him too, because all we really got, well, hopefully we'll do it a little different this time around, but it's only the drums were recorded live, but everything else we did in the box in, in here and sent to him. And I really, really appreciate you know, it's kind of back to that educator thing again, where have you met, do you know him? Have you talked with them or? Actually, when I was in school, we toured his facility. And so we got like a uh, extra behind the scenes kind of educational snippet. So I haven't got to work with him professionally, but uh, uh, I have been there, long story short, and got to see, got to see everything that goes down. So it's fantastic. Well, I'm sure it is. I've never been there, but I really appreciate people who like, once they know you're trying to learn and that your questions aren't just like, you know, backseat driver ing, he, he was he was really great. I learned a lot from him, really just in email communication, just in workflow kinds of stuff where it was like, OK, this is what I think I'm trying to do. Are you hearing this on your end? And, and he was just he didn't have to do that. Nobody ever has to take the time to be like, you know, this frequency here is pretty hot, man. Maybe you should think about you know, doing this or that. Some people that I've met are just like, nope, sounds great. We got paid and uh, go go out, get out there and be somebody. So I, I really appreciate it. I know why people keep going back to him. Not only that he's really good at what he does, but uh, from my point of view, was, was really helpful in making sure like future mixes will be different. And I think when we go to him next time, hopefully it'll go a little bit easier too. And so... I was going to ask, did you ever get to go up to Power Base Studios in Wisner, Nebraska, where Josh recorded his album? Have you done anything up there work-wise or got to see the facilities or, or anything like that? I just went with Josh once and hung out. Um, Dan? That's his name, right? Yeah, Dan Kane, yes. <laughs> He's a super cool dude. He's awesome. It's an awesome studio, and it was, it was fun just watching Josh do do his thing. I'm not good enough. The reason that Clint is like one of the is probably the best musician in our band is because the dude can nail stuff perfectly one time through and I stumble through all kinds of stuff and so I try that's why it's probably half the reason that I like to do recording and stuff at home and why some of them turn out pretty good is because there's a ridiculous number of takes and times through them where I have so much more respect for you know where it's like when Josh was doing that he he did all the instruments one at a time but he had he just had that day kind of do his shit and so uh that's and that's i that's a, a parameter we have on our drummer all the time too where he's like he's got when we do go to a studio it's all kind of about him we get a fling poo at him all day long and you know just sound like crap if we have to and but the truth is is those dudes that can that can knock out a long a long day of making music and not and be able to live with it afterwards or lots of lots of respect for those guys because i'm a million years away from that one of my rock and roll fantasies is it will probably never happen at this point in my life I've accepted, but I would love to be on a A-list Grammy award-winning production just to see what that process is like. Like what, what does Radiohead get to do and Red Hot Chili Peppers and, you know, name your A-list act. I would love to be a part of that just once, get to be a part of that process from start to finish and just to, just to see what it's like, because I, I kind of know what it's like, but, uh, just to be actually be in that moment, you know, that's one of those, uh, you know, those lifelong dreams that 
probably won't happen at this point, but I still like to think about. I definitely, I am with you there. Let me ask you this. Would you rather get to be a part of an A-list recording process or get to be a part of an A-list live stadium tour? Would you want to be a Red Hot Chili Peppers in the studio for for uh, an album or be on a, on a tour for an album? What If you had to choose, if the genie gets you one wish. I would learn more in the studio and that would be the smart thing to do, but I would definitely say on tour just because just just because it's like a, that's something that i've never done before and a lot of my friends have uh probably you yourself have been on a tour before eh? Uh, yeah i have but not a not an a-list stadium bus tour right right <laughs> but still just playing multiple nights in a row and driving in between and eating what's available and dealing with uh gear breaking down or or whatever that's just i've never done anything close to that and that would be that would be the coolest part i think which just again like you said it's kind of just being nerdy at this point in my life because you know i'm sure the bands that are touring are like what is wrong with you you're gonna eat gas station food and everything that you want to go right is gonna get screwed up you're gonna have to hopefully someone can run a soldering iron and you can rent a extra head from some local music shop or whatever you know that stuff's stuff stressful but i still that's still my favorite thing to do recreationally is to just go is live music is just really really cool really really magical and while you know sometimes the live doesn't like you can listen to albums so many like in succession and over these long periods of your life that they can be really formative experiences and really affect you deeply but the live show is where like the the community of it is at and how um you listen to your favorite album of all time and it makes me like pensive and think about you know what this means to me and like how i relate to it and all this stuff but coming home from a live show it's like oh my god i gotta go plug in right now i just want to play it's like that that it has a feeling like that's that's why people why they keep doing it i think do you view the ultimate expression of a song when it's performed live like when you're writing a song do you feel like it's done when you've committed it to vinyl or when it's ultimately played live after you've recorded it you've put it out is is the final form of a song when you get it on stage or is it is it when it's on the album and it's out there for everybody to listen to i mean i think i view them as two totally different animals because at least for the first few uh albums worth of stuff like it was never going to it's not really reproducible and that's not because it was of uh, really high quality it's just because of the tools at the time that i had and had unlimited time to work with it and so i got to cheat with a lot of things that um you just wouldn't be able to do live so so yeah i think that on the album is like a really distinct point in time for a song but something that's been cool to do with this is where i'll start a song in some way and now we're because we're just finally like this this last album and now finally getting it being able to like write together because i suck like i just had never had to do that as much before and so i had lots of growing and learning but there's also no the live version of it is a way more malleable and uh i don't know a truer is that the right word 
when you're recording, like you, what you're trying to achieve, at least for us and for myself is like, I hear in my head what I want this to sound like. So I'm going for that. Like there's a little wiggle room as far as effects and like uh, kind of in the moment or a solo or, a you know, vocal embellishment or whatever. But like the final product, I don't do very much like writing in the recording process. So there's a, there's usually, by the time I'm committing something to, to tape or hard drive as it were there's not a whole lot of discovery happening so the live version is where like i love it because these two dudes that i'm playing with are just so they their whole approach to music is way different and they think of stuff that that i would just never have thought of doing and especially when that happens live it's like awesome thank you because holy crap i never would have come up with something like that i got excited and played something either either better or at least i had more enthusiasm because of stuff that they're doing and so and there's nothing that i've recorded that i can listen to and be like that's its final form i forever is like oh that one that one little hi-hat hit right there that you can hear or or uh, that one little piece of static in the middle of some really cool unreproducible effect like those one in a lifetime kind of things where it's like I still stare at the ceiling at night wishing I could change those there you have it ladies and gentlemen my conversation with my good friend Caleb Hastings if you enjoyed listening I invite you to check out all of the past episodes, as well as any and all future releases. Thanks once again for listening to the Human Being Human podcast. I'm your host and creator, Carrington Cooper. Please join me for the next episode, and we'll see each other on the other side. You can follow this podcast on Facebook, Twitter, as well as Patreon. I'll be posting links to all the references mentioned throughout this series, as well as any other stories, videos, articles, or other cool stuff that might be of interest. In today's episode, we heard Caleb Hastings' band, Cuddlebone, and their song, Lunch, recorded at Fuse Recording in Lincoln, Nebraska, and mastered by Doug Van Sloan of Focus Mastering in Omaha, Nebraska. In the outro, we'll hear a performance of Caleb and I's high school band teacher, Jerry Neiman, who both Caleb and I played with over the years. This show of Mr. Neiman and I's was recorded in 2020 at the Snowpack Tap Room in Pine, Colorado. As always, I greatly appreciate all of your ears and support, and we'll see each other next time.